Welcome to the Rooted Healing Podcast, where we seek to deepen our kinship with the living world and with the great mystery that runs through us. This is a space where stories heal with words that weave us closer to our wild and daring natures, bringing together the expansive minds, topics, and ideas that help us heal, reimagine, and co-create the world we wish to thrive in. The process of making whatever we make is the, as I understand it, our fastest route to our own sense of connection and belonging. Dory Joy is a multidisciplinary artist, ancestral craftswoman, herbalist, space holder, and educator. Her paintings are known for their deeply indigenous intimacy with the ephemerality of life, which is surely influenced by her almost 30 years of initiation and intimate training with indigenous women and elders in many areas of ancient craft and ceremony. Dory is a mother of three and a grandmother of two, and her work is informed by her passion for sustainability, rooted in connection and reciprocity. Midsummer eclipsed, full buck moon, motherwort, southernward, already in bloom, in my night garden, silver shadow. Taste of secrets, pungent and pearly, penny royal, skullcap, delicate, holy, watered with This episode features snippets of spoken word from Dory's beautiful collection of original art and traditional crafts called Thirteen Secrets, which follows a seasonal and cyclical spiral of becoming and belonging weaving themes of grief, hope, forgiveness, and courage beyond linear time and cultural divides, rooted in our shared memory. Survive through enduring lives of roots and wild seed. I made my incredible drum with Dory in one of her workshops, which was honestly the most profound, life-affirming initiation into my own ancestral memory and soul reciprocity with the land that raised me. The way she introduced us to the hides and the accompanying materials gave me a completely different perspective of what it means to craft something from the living land. We covered a lot in this conversation, including some reflections that definitely gave me thought to chew on. I hope you enjoy her words of wisdom. I would love to begin with diving into the significance of the drum in the human existence and how, in particular, making our drum really intertwines us with understanding the living world around us. Oh, I've been making drums with people for a really long time. And it's work that 
I love so much because it brings me really close to the heart of the earth. It brings me into intimate relationship with these organic materials harvested from the land around me. And it brings me really close to the hearts of the people. And all those things nourish my own human experience very much. I hold workshops in all kinds of other crafts as well, ancestral skills and traditional crafts and things like roadkill handling and embroidery and, you know, a whole spectrum of um, of traditional craft. But drum making particularly is the deepest remembrance that I witness again and again. And the memory of drum making is primordial. It's ancient. There's something in this um, vessel, in, in creating a vessel that is making a heartbeat sound that is our oldest memory. Our origins come from our beating heart, like our beating heart is the first thing that is made <laughs> of our human bodies and our, and our mother's beating heart is the first thing that we hear when we have ears in the womb. And people have been making drums since time before time. Drums that predate Homo sapiens. We can see that they are pre-agriculture, they're pre-art. It's so within our deepest ancestral memory, beyond our cultural conditioning and understanding or even our spiritual affiliation or lifestyle choices, to have this vessel that we can make a heartbeat rhythm on. And now, of course, there's these incredible scientific studies that show what happens in the human brain in the presence of a drumbeat in the presence of a repetitive rhythm it's amazing to see the neural pathways between the right and left hemispheres of our brain all start to link up and connect and talk with each other and there's this access to a deep brain to our active imagination to the states that we would usually only be able to access in deep sleep, through deep meditation, or through plant medicines, they, they, they become very accessible in the presence of a repetitive rhythm. And of course, those sci- documented scientific studies, which are really worth researching, they are very recent in our evolution, but people have known this intuitively since time before time. And so many people come and say, I'd like to make a drum, I don't really know why. I'm not a musician. I'm scared to sing. I've never played a drum before. I I just want to make a drum. I hear that again and again, and it really affirms what I sense and witness again and again with people making their drums. And then there's a simple place where anything we are making with our hands we're making with our heart because of our connection with our hands and our heart. And to spend a whole day 
or sometimes two days, sometimes a week or a month or a year, making something, I feel is the most nourishing thing that we can do with our with our human bodies. And it's also the best contradiction that we can offer to the capitalist overculture that we are inadvertently contributing to by being consumers. It feels like the goal of the of capitalism is to get something get somebody to make something for us is the, the goal is to have people doing the making for us whether that is cleaning our house or making our clothes or growing our food or um ferrying our luggage or washing our car you know that's like the optimum goal that is driving the colonial machine really but to give yourself the time to rest back into the intuitive wisdom of the creation, the creative potential and instinct to create in our hands and how naturally that becomes an active prayer is a profoundly nourishing contradiction to the um to what so many people seem to be struggling with which seems to be a a a feeling of a lack of time a feeling of a lack of connection I love offering people this kind of generous expansive space to be with the wisdom of their hearts and hands and witness them creating something meaningful for themselves, for their journey from that space. That combined with the ancient memory and the sound, the how comforting a deep drumbeat is, how comforting to have a, also have an instrument that is, that has resonance with our own heart energy because we made it. There were some things that you helped me understand the reflection my drum was giving me. It's like that is the medium uh, language that I've learnt. Like anything that we are giving our time and attention to is going to develop and blossom and show more of itself. The work of preparing the materials for drum making and drum making, I've um, spent so long with those materials that it's like that's a, becomes an intuitive language in the same way that people that spend a lot of time with horses, you know, really understand the subtlety of their non-verbal communication. People in ancient cultures, it's like, wow, they're reading bones, they're reading ash, they're reading water. So I can listen to the language of the drums because it's something very close to my heart that I've spent a lot of time listening to. And when we've spent a lot of time listening to anything, you know, like the subtlety of how like a craniosacral therapist works with the body, 
it's so beautiful. Sometimes the drums bring a really generous mirror to the physical body, emotional body. (laughs) And um, sometimes it is useful for me to be translating that to bring more resonance and connection in with the drum making. Mm. Moving through all of the beautiful crafts that you do and the paintings that you create, they really, for me, they create such a deep sense of remembrance. And I feel transported to an ancient place that my soul is yearning for in this modern age, a sense of connection with the magic of nature, elderhood, motherhood, to community. And I'd love to know where you feel this comes from when you are painting and how might we all access this deep remembrance through art and storytelling? I think the first thing that I would like to share about that is this whole misunderstanding that people have to think that they have to be qualified, good enough, or have the time, the resources, the education, or the permission from somewhere to start creating art. So often, beautiful things are made, and sometimes they're made by surprise, but so often they're made as a response to places that we don't know how to find the words for. They're they're this beautiful thing of a kind of time out of time. And we're really conditioned in our culture to believe that what, what we invest our time in, what we make, needs to have be useful for financial gain, to have financial worth. Those thought forms can really impact our creativity. Painting has always been a the place where my dreams, where my night dreams meet my yearning. Mm. And I've painted a lot of elders and I think that's this sense that I've had that my, I'm like, where I, I started looking for my elders. I started looking for elders to teach me, to teach me craft to teach me their traditional craft to teach me their ceremonial ways like when I was very young and I felt like I had this um remembrance of the of this village you know I did grow up in quite a vibrant community and I was really lucky to have two sets of grandparents who who were lovely you know they they both gave me a lot this sense of our elders of really like treasuring their wisdom and in some way really asking for their blessings in the way that I was painting them and that's the other thing I'd say is to not wait until we until you feel like you've got a luxury of time before making something you know like anything that we can explore the process of making from scratch is going to nourish us whether that is growing a vegetable or knitting a scarf instead of buying one or you know 
seeing if we can crochet or embroider a little altar cloth. The process of making whatever we make is the, as I understand it, our fastest route to our own sense of connection and belonging. Mm. I can't help but feel that all of your work is deeply cyclical and connected to the ephemerality of life. In your gentle but powerful commitment to active decolonization, what is it that gives you hope and what do you think it is that wants to come through in this way? Ah, what is it that gives me hope? That our earth keeps turning in beauty all the time. If all we are ingesting is the mainstream news or our social media feeds, wow, how depressing. But then it's like, look at that, sun rising every morning, the moon waxing and waning across the sky every month, like the stars in their beautiful dance of constellations. It's like the same hope of a seed to bloom. I understand that um, despair is, uh, I understand it. And it's a very human thing. And our earth gives me hope. And any way that we can put ourselves, that give ourselves the opportunity to feel wonder, to feel like we are in the lap of something great and beautiful and real, is gonna help feed our courage to keep living and keep loving as best we can. We begin at the beginning of each moment we're still living and after the dissolving embrace of what we thought deprived of myths and living role models who transmute the wisdom of motherhood and grandmotherhood in a way that inspires deep respect in our society. So I would love to hear about your relationship with yourself in these archetypes within life's cycles. 
Ah, within the mother and grandmother archetype. Yes. Oh, lovely. You know, there's that expression, oh, she's very becoming to describe someone as being beautiful. And it's like, wow, to witness anyone's becoming. And I think in that we mean they're becoming themselves, eh? Motherhood, I've really felt the mercy of the generosity of all of my children to come to me and how much I've, um, how much they've shown me about love. Your paintings often speak to women's archetypal mythology. And we were speaking earlier before this podcast about how certain phrases become quite coined in spiritual spheres. For example, the divine feminine and how at the same time, a big part of actively deconstructing patriarchal thought begs us to relook at gender binary. Would you like to share some of your personal reflections around this? I'm, yeah, that the personal artwork that I'm making is really, really feminine. There's no other way of putting it. I've had to sit with the, um, the mirror at a time in my personal life where I am doing all I can really to dismantle gender binaries in my work, in my language, in my spaces, not to take anything away, but because I'm, re- I'm seeing t- more and more how the divisions of um, patriarchal culture oppress everyone and the um, slim margins of those the narratives of the masculine and feminine gender binaries are a burden for so many humans to carry you know (laughs) and I'm I'm really interested in the hearts of the people that that that's where I am on my personal inquiry as for like women only spaces men only spaces I feel like it is really good for people to gather in intimate circles with people that they feel like they have a resonance with whether that is um you know women's spaces, queer spaces, trans spaces, because there is also a strength that is cultivated in that resonance. And I feel like it's really good to sit in circles with people that you might feel like you've got nothing in common with, people that you might meet and think, I am never going to find a place of connection with this person, or I don't understand the way that this person is living or presenting. And the more time we're spending debating the rules about what should and shouldn't happen for certain people in different spaces, because so many of those rules are from fear of anyone who might be living or expressing or making choices in a way that feel beyond our personal experience or understanding. And um, in a personal place, I am... um, feeling the liberation that comes from any person that has the courage to be themselves, that has really come to the understanding 
in their own hearts of the gift that they are bringing to our earth. And I believe that each one of us comes with a gift that is real, that is shining. And the more someone can do to get to know their gift and to take the time to cultivate it and hone it and bring it as an offering to try and make our world a more beautiful place, a more loving place, a kinder place. That gives me hope as well. My monthly cycle um, informs my creativity deeply. So that's my own like personal tracking. And it's a, it's a really ripe inquiry when I'm working with my, um, dream space that comes across yeah really in the realms of what might be referred to as the deep feminine and you know the feminine is the earth that's in in my tradition it's like mother earth and father sky father sun and so it's like we've got those polarities of the night and the day but then there's all those shades in between it's like the spectrum of light that spans a day like the spectrum of the shades of dusk and dawn and all those in between times and it isn't as linear as just night and day there's a whole ray of how light moves in darkness and how shadow moves in light that make the beauty of a day and that's how also how I see gender and gender spaces. Mm, Thank you so much for taking me through that because it's definitely something I've been musing over in terms of creating space and and holding space. I can't help but feel that we have all been grieving a way of life that our souls are craving. A life more vibrant with celebration, initiation, ceremony, rites of passage, and deeply rooted community. And as someone who is embodying practices that honour this way of life, yet amongst a modern world, what advice or reflections can you share that might inspire us to follow that in a calling or in a truth or even access it in the first place I feel like the um, impact of colonialism is um, felt so deeply in us all and firstly I'd speak to the starvation that you're mentioning I've witnessed that starvation can make us behave and become spiritual orphans riddled with like middle-class-itis that are like (laughs) scrabbling for the any bits of anything (laughs) that feels 
indigenous to our earth, which is what we're craving, actually is our own sense of belonging. And so what that can mean when that is sort of happens, when that hunger happens through the filter of our Western drive towards consumerism is that we can move from thing to thing really fast. And that's really exhibited in like the health food industry, whether it's like goji berries or quinoa, like our appetite for wellness. The intentions are good, but the practice can be ravenous often with appropriating and depleting. Going back to what I said very early on in our conversation is that the whole um, agenda of colonialism is to exploit, is to take. And how are we going to start giving back? How are we going to start giving back? And that's a really good place to start, whether that is in our communities, whether that is in our approach to our spiritual path, how are we going to give back rather than take? And how are we going to make it sustainable? If we can't sustain and grow and create something for ourselves, it isn't any use for the generations to come. It only becomes food for what comes after when we love it enough to cultivate it and sustain it. I'm here in, in southwest England and like here, like the hedgerows are like a cornucopia of medicines. They're like a whole medicine chest. Everything that we could need and um, pretty much I reckon that anything that we could need for any condition of like mind or soul or body we could find within a like 10 mile radius of our home. I would recommend to anyone to get to know the plants that are growing in their garden, in their hedgerows before going with the ravenous appetite for the herbs like chaga mushroom is another one it's suddenly got popular and then it's just being uh, harvested at a rate that is impossible like it oh isn't you've got to think how long a plant is going to take to grow to address that the hunger and see what we can cultivate and sustain within mm. with, with what is right here beneath our feet mm, that's so needed that that advice and it's really coming through for me listening to that just how often um blind we are to our own privilege and our sense of entitlement because there's this real common ground of just getting what we pay for and it's huge that yes and it's it's a dance that I've definitely been you know involved with I've I'm guilty of of going and seeking that connection and awakening and whatever else in in foreign lands and it has and for sure me too (laughs) and that's the thing isn't it because it's like what are we seeking and 
what can we give back on our quest? It's mm. like that relationship. Because when we're cultivating reciprocity, it really changes our relationship approaching a people or a land or a ceremony with that sense of entitlement, with our unchecked white privilege, with our unchecked white fragility, feeling like we have paid for something that we're going to have to try and fill this hole of our lack of belonging Mm -hmm. and our lack of resonance with the culture that we were raised in. It's really problematic, hey? What can I, what can I offer? What can I, and and sometimes that reciprocity would be in money. (laughs) That is a form of reciprocity. And the other question with that would be like, how can I take care of what I've received? How can I take care of the generosity that I've been given in this space? How can I do my bit to sustain that which has just nourished me? enough to strengthen it and pass it on. We lay our boulders down in the river, offer our complaints to the wild, wide ocean, then lift our open hands to the salt sea breeze. Breathe, receive the songs of the birds that we set free when we chose to keep on dancing knowing that we are human that earth, air, fire and water live and move and dream inside us our faith in the unpredictable untrodden ways that guide our surrender we yield compost sustain found nourishment and insight in this conversation 
You can discover more about Dory and her creations, workshops and facilitation at dorijoy.co.uk. That's D-O-R-R-I-E-J-O-Y. And you can also follow her journey on Instagram at dory.joy. The relevant links are in the show notes. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please do share it with friends and family. Rate and review. It really helps us, especially because we've just started out. And perhaps consider becoming a patron from as little as £1 a month, where you'll receive exclusive, thoughtful content and you'll help us continue with this podcast. That's at patreon.com slash healing. To find out more about us and our upcoming events and offerings, please visit rootedhealing.org and follow us on social media. We are a new podcast, so please do hit the download button, which helps us become more easily searchable for future listeners. I'm your host, Veronica Stanwell, and I'm sending you so much love and thanks wherever you are in this moment. <laughs>